Okay, so uh, if you've got your Bibles, can you turn please to uh, 1 John 1. Uh, so uh, we're starting a, a new series looking at, at 1 John uh, and 2 John and 3 John over, you know, in due course. But this really, we're just going to start off with John, who was like John, you know, the, uh, the, the disciple. This is his eyewitness account of Jesus. And, and this is basically John trying to say, look, this Je- you, I, you, you won't have seen Jesus yourself. You won't have sat down with a, for a meal with him. You won't have been able to go on these like, journeys with him. But just, I just need to let you know, I have. I, I was with him. I really was with this man. And everything that we've heard about this Jesus is true. But anyway, let's, just start, let's read these verses. And then it says this. Uh, 1 John 1. Uh, verse 1, and it says, That which was from the beginning, i.e. Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This letter that we're going to dig into is really, it's John saying that this is my eyewitness account of who Jesus was. I was with him. I walked with him. I talked with him. And what John is saying is, like, I want you now to come back to these three basics of Christian living. True doctrine, obedient living, and fervent devotion. I, I want you, that is the foundation. True, and understand something of who God is. If Jesus says something to you, then we need to rally around and help you do all that Jesus has asked you to do. And then be fervent in your devotion. Really love Jesus with everything that you have. The Apostle John, um, apparently he uh, lived to a ripe old age. He he lived um, to start with in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem. And then he moved from Jerusalem to the city called Ephesus. Can, does, can anybody tell me when the Romans destroyed the temple in Rome, roughly? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. What did I say? In Rome, sorry. When did the Romans destroy the, the temple in Jerusalem? 70 AD. 70 AD, yeah, very good. Well done, yeah. So in 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem, this massive city that had this extraordinary temple. In. They just wrecked it all. And so a few years before that happened, they could, a few of the Christians could see what was going to happen. And a lot of them decamped and moved over to Ephesus. And so John then lived in Ephesus. And he was probably the last living disciple that had actually been mates with Jesus. So he held this, he held a lot of sort of like responsibility. And people would defer to him because they, oh no, you've actually been with Jesus. And Jerome, who was an, uh, uh, an early Christian writer, he said this, that John, in the end, he was so frail, he couldn't actually walk into the temple himself. So John would be carried into the temple as this old, old man, and, he, and John would just say, instead of preaching long sermons, he'd say, little children, love one another. And then he would go, and that's all he would say, just, just little children, 
Love one another. And then people, why, John, why do you just keep all of this stuff that you've got, you can tell, why do you just keep saying little children love one another? And he said, because that is what Jesus commanded you to do. And if you just do that, you've done enough. There's an awful lot more. One of the things that, that John was really sort of trying to, to counter when he wrote this letter to some of the churches around Ephesus was that they had got this sort of like, this belief, it's called Gnosticism. I'm sure some people know what Gnosticism is, a few people are nodding, but it's this mixture of all of these different like religions and a bit of the Old Testament, a bit of New Testament, a bit of Greek philosophy, a bit of all these things, and they all mushed it together, and they end up with this hodgepodge of beliefs that was really not Christian at all, but it was almost close enough for people to think that it was Christian. And so John was saying, no, 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 I want you to come back. You know, to some... Have you ever, I don't know, you might not do this, but I did a search the other day and I said, finding the light within. Okay. It's like a phrase that a lot of people would talk about now, isn't it? They would say, oh, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go to the woods for a week and find the light within. And then I Googled this and it came up with all these pictures of, sort of like Buddhas sitting there or, I don't know, it's some, I don't know, whatever, these like things and, and people are desperately looking within to find the light within so that, you know, their lives might be better and they might know what to do. And, and people are still talking about that all the time. But that's exactly what John was facing. He was facing exactly the th- that, that same issue of people just thinking, oh, I'll find the light within. But John says, no, I'm going to tell you about this man, Jesus, that I know. The first, I'm not going to go through this verse by verse, by the way. But when it says, that which was from the beginning, does that ring any bells to anybody? Yeah. Can Can I just ask you, well, Bells, does it ring for you? So it's like what John is that he's echoing the, like the very beginning of Genesis. Is, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Anybody else? Anything else that it, it echoes of? Is it, okay, it's the start of John's gospel. So John started like his gospel. It says that it, John's prologue starts with these words again, and it goes back to Genesis again. And what what John is doing is like he's it's, he's saying, "Now go back as far as you can before anything else was in the beginning. What you'll find was God, and what you'll find is Jesus." And sometimes you can argue. Some people, you know, people will argue against the existence of God, and they will say, "Well, it, it all happened with a big bang." And then you can just say, "Well, well, what happened before that?" And you can, you can always go back. And what John is saying was, he's telling us, no, in the beginning was God. And Jesus was there. Have I, have I used this example about drawing a big circle of all the knowledge of everything that there is in the world? Okay. If somebody says to you, I just like, God doesn't exist. If they're an atheist and they, they just think, oh, I just don't believe in God. Or they're agnostic and they think, you know, God can't be known. And, and you think... And sometimes it's quite, you know, it's, it's difficult to argue against it. And they just think, no, but I just believe in what I can see. I can believe in this. And, and the one, it may not help all the time, but you could just get a piece of paper and you draw this big circle on it and you say, okay, so this circle represents the totality of knowledge of everything. Everything. Everything there is to know about the world, the God, everything. 
And then if they're really clever, just say, okay, so tell, draw a line in that circle that represents the amount of knowledge that you know. And, you know, I suspect, you know, if they do this big circle, if they're probably, you know, fairly knowledgeable, they'd go right up at the top and they would say, yeah, that little bit up there is what I do know. And I think the answer is that you can then say, well, what happens if God exists in that other bit that you don't know? He could be there and you just don't know it. But what John is saying is this, I'm going to tell you, in the beginning was God. And in the beginning was Jesus. Go back before anything was created and you'll find God and Jesus and the Spirit together. And then what John is saying is this, and this is the same man that I knew. So an eye, you know, if you ever go to court, what you really want is an eyewitness testimony, don't you? You don't want to be saying, oh, I think he was a nice guy. Yeah. No, I saw this. I absolutely saw that. And that is what John is saying. I saw how he lived. I heard. I discussed with him. I saw his miracles. I saw his brutal execution. And guess what? I saw him. And this is mad, and you might not believe it. I saw him die, and I saw him came back to life. And, and then he's just he's saying, this, this is the testimony of what I saw. And the disciples were scared. And they thought, no, I, I can't believe this. And then Jesus said, look, I tell you what, come over here. Look at that. Look at that. I know you don't really, it's not a very pretty sight. But, but Jesus said, look at that. Go on, you see that wound in there? Go on, stick your finger in. No, oh, that's gross. That's disgusting. Go on, do it. Do it. Because I... I'm not a ghost. This is me. This is... And and then what Jesus said to Thomas, he said, Thomas, well done, you believed in me. But what did he say to Thomas? Blessed are those who believe in me but haven't seen me. And Jesus said, no, Jesus, this, this carpenter, John said, I saw the inexplicable stuff. This is what he's saying. I saw it with my own eyes. I put my hands and then I had to get a tissue and wipe my hands because it was a bit bloody and horrible. And John's saying, no, I saw this person. And I saw enough to be able to give my life to this man and say, I believe utterly he was God in our midst. And John is saying, John did not tell us about about the good news, this man is the good news. He is... He didn't just say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He said, no, I am the kingdom of God. It's a relationship. It's a friendship with Jesus. Salvation is not about knowing about him. It is knowing him. You know, sometimes we've tried to be, like, tighter and tighter when people get baptised. But in the past, we have, we've, people have come up and, and, and you know, been baptised and they would say, I, just, I want to get baptised today because I really love being in the church and I really like how welcoming it is and I really like being part of a community and therefore, I want to get baptised. Now, if I'm honest, I'm not sure those people are Christians. 
Because the only way, really, that you should be getting baptised is if you can say this. I believe the testimony of the apostles that Jesus was before the beginning of time and is the Son of God. And he lived and he died and he was resurrected and he's my friend. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? It's about a relationship knowing Jesus. Our Christian life is now defined simply by our relationship with Jesus. And this is what it says in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you. This is Jesus speaking. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you had sent. Do you know, do you ever feel that your faith is a risk? Just put your hands up if you think yes. Okay, there's four of us. Five. Do you ever think you might be making it all up? Just put your hands up. <laughs> Throughout the ages, people have always dealt with doubt. Children of Israel always dealt with doubt. All the world was thriving. All the world was, like, was doing so well around them. And they're this like, yeah, these people are God. And we would get beaten up. We always lose the argument. <laughs> we always have to rely on God. We can't rely on our strength. And we see it around us all the time. And you just see these like, people thriving all around. Why are we just believing in God? It's weird. I just, can I read this quote from this guy called um, Eugene Peterson? If you ever... I've been reading this book by Eugene Peterson. I love it. He, wrote the, he did the translation of the Bible called the, the Message, but he's also written this book called A Long Walk of Obedience in the Same Direction. And its subtitle is Discipleship in an Instant World. And sometimes you have to deal with doubt and uncertainty, and he says this. Christian discipleship is hazardous work. What is hazardous in my life? Every day... I put my faith on the line. I have never seen God. In a world where nearly everything can be weighed, explained, quantified, subjected to psychological analysis and scientific control, I persist in making the centre of my life a God whom no eye has seen nor ear heard, whose, whose will no one can probe. And that is a risk. Every day I put my hope on the line. I don't know one thing about the future. I don't know what the next hour will bring. Still, despite my ignorance and surrounded by tinny optimists and cowardly pessimists, I say that God will accomplish his will and I cheerfully persist in living in the hope that nothing will separate me from Christ's love. I found that quite helpful. <laughs> to know that these people of extraordinary faith, the people who've gone ahead, they've, they thought, oh, what am I doing? And sometimes we have to go back to like eyewitness statements of people like John, and he says, I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. And all I'm asking you to do is believe what I'm saying, that I saw this man and I saw it to be true. 
John then says right at the end, I don't know, actually, can I just pray into that? There's a few other things I want to just mention before I finish, but I feel sometimes like doubt can shipwreck our faith, but it can also push us further, can push us further, not into a blind faith, but into an understanding of Scripture that takes us back and say, what did the apostles believe? But let me just pray into that. Heavenly Father, we... Lord, for those of us who wake up in the morning and wonder if we're making everything up, Lord, I pray that we would remember that your creation is beautiful, that you are far superior to what was created. I thank you for that prophetic word that was just spoken so clearly over us. I thank you that you brought something of intelligent design. Lord, there is a plan and there is a purpose for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us when we're in the, when there's pressure all around. I pray, help us just to come back to that place of trusting you. Lord Jesus, all things come together in you in a way that they can't come together any other way. And so, Lord, we choose now to take the risk of faith, to trust in you. I pray that you would help us in our doubt, help us in our moments of uncertainty. But Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister into our lives. Right at the end of this this passage, and we're nearly... Uh, drawing to an end, John writes this, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There is something about joy that, that comes when we actually, when we understand who God is. And, and joy is like, is utterly different. There's a, there's a key difference, isn't there, between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent on circumstance and all these things. Joy is a profound thing that lasts forever. In John 16, there are three times where John, where, where John says, no, my, this is what, if you do this, my joy will be complete. You know, ask in my name and your joy will be complete. There is something about joy that abides forever, whereas happiness just lasts for a short period of t- time. But there is something about knowing that one Jesus existed and that at some point, even though life is messy and uncertain and we're facing all sorts of pressures and we're facing issues at work and we're facing issues with money and we're facing issues with our relationship and we want God to sort it all out and make it all better and sometimes he doesn't and that is really annoying. But there will come a day when I will be able to look Jesus in the face and there will be no condemnation. He won't say to me, you idiot, I gave you a chance but you didn't. He will look over my life and he'll say, well done, Duncan. Not because of anything that you did, but you chose to believe that what I did saved your life. And that's it. And he will smile over me. He'll say, oh, well done. Well done for going through all that nonsense, all the stuff that you had to go through at work. All the people disagreeing with you. Becca, who was our youth 
leader was out on the streets in Covent Garden yesterday. And we, Jill and I, were at a wedding yesterday, and we came back, uh, we came back quite late. And then the first thing that Becca said was, I said, oh, how was advanced youth? And she said, it was awful. Well, why? Why was it bad? She said, well, we took all the young people out on the streets, and we were talking about Jesus. And then we went out to one of the magicians in Covent Garden, and, um, and he said, oh, why are you doing this? And then he had a real go at her, real go at her. And then he said, you're just leading these kids astray. You're lying to them. And then he said, so actually my problem isn't with all of you. My problem is just with you, Becca. And he didn't know it, but, but he just, he really laid into her. And then poor Becca, so she didn't know what to do. This guy just laid into her and then he came back and they debriefed it and all the kids thought, oh, it was great. Becca, you did really well. You, did, you just like, you didn't have all the answers. And Becca said, oh, great, thanks. She was utterly destroyed. And she came back and we just talked to her. She was at the top of the stairs. We were at the bottom. We hadn't even taken our, like, our coats off, you know. And she was nearly there like crying and thinking. But then she said, no, but you know, I, I know that God has done something and it was true and I have to somehow cope with all that rubbish that that vitriol that that guy suddenly had a moment to dump on me and she's learned something that said despite all of that I will trust in Jesus and I think she's known that actually joy comes despite joy comes despite this and that and that because at some point we'll be face to face with Jesus and he'll look over us with tremendous joy and love and affection. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he has done. So, there we go. John is going to write this. We're going on a journey, learning about one John. This letter is the extraordinary letters. He's just laying a foundation. True doctrine, obedient living, and fervent devotion. Can I ask you just to stand with me? Paul, could we? Yes, all right. Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus. Lord, I I thank you for this, this disciple, John, who was with you and walked with you and he wrote this letter to the churches around Ephesus. I thank you, Lord, that this letter was kept. I thank you that somebody looked after this letter so that here in Hatfield, Lord, in September 22, we can read it again and we can read this eyewitness statement of this disciple that was with you, Jesus. And I thank you for it, oh God. I'm so grateful for it. And I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us now. That we would know by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the truth of Scripture that has been spoken over us, that you were there in the beginning. That you lived. That you were crucified. That you were physically dead. That you flatlined but you rose again from the dead and you defeated death. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you now come into our lives that we would know that you have defeated 
death in our lives. And even when we don't know, Lord, even when we struggle, help us to come back to what we do know of you. Thank you, Lord, that all things come together in Christ. We just choose to hold on to it, Lord. Father, thank you.